the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching the outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hello and welcome everyone to the first ever episode of That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I'm the host of this show, uh, delving into the world of UFOs, UAP, aliens, extraterrestrials, ultra-terrestrials and more. Since I was a kid, I've been interested in many different mysteries and incredible possibilities in the world. Things like remote viewing, time travel, psychic abilities, but among all of these, UFOs and all that entails is what's really had my attention the most. My aim with this show is to share the latest UFO news and opinion from around the world, and right now there's certainly plenty of that. I'll also bring on a range of credible, knowledgeable guests to discuss their own stories and experiences for you to listen to and form your own opinions. I want to get straight into one huge piece of breaking news from this week. Well, maybe for many of us it wasn't news, but the weight that it's added to a story that was already out there is definitely credible. I'm going to first read the Pentagon Department of Defence statement that was released. The Department of Defence has authorised the release of three unclassified Navy videos, one taken in November 2004 and the other two in January 2015, which have been circulating in the public domain after unauthorised releases in 2007 and 2017. The US Navy previously acknowledged that these videos circulating in the public domain were indeed Navy videos. After a thorough review... The department has determined that the authorised release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems and does not impinge on any subsequent investigations of military airspace incursions by unidentified aerial phenomena. Department of Defence is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos. The aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterised as unidentified. That's the statement released by an official government organisation. So these videos were initially leaked or released in December 2017 after the New York Times published front page news revealing the US government did indeed have an interest in UFOs. Despite years of denial, mockery and even had a pro- they even had a programme with a budget going well into the tens of millions of dollars and that's what we know about not the black money that would go on in the background as well. Since then, pilots, radar operators and many more have come forward to share their own first-hand accounts of what they saw out at sea, in the air and on the land. Can you imagine 10 years ago being told the US government would admit to having a UFO study programme and release official footage of these incredible craft performing amazing physics-defying feats? you'd be fair in thinking that that would be it. That would be disclosure, something we all want. Finally, the powers that be have admitted something we've all known for a long, long time. Yet, here we are, still picking at the details, questioning the timing, seeing it mocked in some areas of the media. The reasoning behind it, is there an agenda? Who knows, and that's something we're going to look into more and more. 
The main thing for now is the argument and evidence is once again back in the mainstream press, with news outlets around the world reporting on these stories from witnesses that are some of the most highly trained and reliable people on the planet, and they're reporting them in a serious manner as well, something that's not always done particularly when it comes to UFOs. The timing of this first show could not be any better with the events of this week. I've got a guest who is one of the first people to witness some of these incredible craft, vehicles, whatever these things are, back in November 2004. And after the break, you'll hear Gary Voorhees, radar operator of the USS Princeton, tell his story and discuss his thoughts, feelings and opinions of what happened on those days where the US Navy encountered objects of unknown origin out at sea and were left feeling incredibly inept against their capabilities. Firstly, uh, I'm going to play a small plug for a friend of the show, and then I want you to stick around, because when we come back, Gary's going to tell you his amazing tale. Thanks for listening to that UFO podcast. Spooky greetings, everybody. My name is Tessa Morrow. I am a paranormal investigator, an author, and I have Paranormal Prowlers podcast. So be sure to venture on over, check it out. It's all things super scary, spooky, supernatural, paranormal, bizarre and unknown and unexplained. And on that podcast, you will hear several different encounters and experiences and investigations and hear all about haunted locations. And also, besides myself, I have awesome guests that join me from time to time, just like Andy. So please be sure to check out Paranormal Prowlers podcast. Have a spooky day. Coming back from that message, uh, we have a man who almost needs no introduction. It's going to be the first guest on that UFO podcast. Um, We've got Gary Verhees. Gary, how are you? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm very well, man. Thank you very much. It's a very cold night here in the northeast of England, but the stars are out, so it's a clear sky. It's good for a bit of sky watching. What about yourself? (laughs) It's uh, hot. (laughs) Hot and sunny. Where are you based again? Uh, Florida. Florida, very nice. And uh, how's lockdown treating you over over your way? Uh, it's been uh, it's fine for me. I'm, I'm I, I'm more of a I, I like to stay in anyway. So <laughs> yeah, see, I like to stay in, but now I don't have the choice. That that's what kind of gets to me. I like to know I can go out, but I don't I, I don't actually end up doing it. So Gary, first off, you were a witness to one of the most significant UFO or UAP events in recent times back in November two thousand four. Um, what I'd like you to do is take us back to that day and walk us through what should have been your typical day. What did you expect to happen? Well, I, uh, I know like first day I found out, I was I was on a mid-watch, uh, which was a late-night shift watch, and uh, wait for somebody to actually need something from the computer technician. Um, a lot of waiting around, a lot of, a lot of sitting around waiting, sitting on watch, just, you know, listening to things, because uh, the watch I did was uh, AWS, Air Warfare's. Uh, and it was just a, a, a monitoring watch for the computer room. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of people on AWS and just in different places, different spaces uh, throughout the ship. And uh, so my typical day would have been pretty, pretty mundane. It would have been probably exciting if you had never been on a ship. <laughs> but uh, after that, at, at that point, I'd already been on two deployments. Uh, so, you know, it's an old hand at everything going on. So you were pretty uh, experienced, yeah. You weren't expecting anything out of the ordinary at that point, I take it. 
Oh yeah, our our ship had uh, been heavily involved in uh, Iraqi freedom and during freedom and the, you know a lot of the uh, the conflicts that had happened prior. Uh, so we uh, so I had quite a bit of experience operating all the systems. Cool. And I suppose going back to that time, two thousand four, there had been conflicts previous and and some still to come. So it's still a very active time for you. I take it, yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh. Yeah, at that point we're we were just doing workups. So, uh, like our, our our spaces and things like that, they're uh, once everything's running, you shouldn't be needed. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you shouldn't. You know, you, there's no need other than just maybe flipping some data recording tapes or putting in some new tapes or you know, kind of just the the monotonous, mundane things that you just have to do to keep things up and running. But once they're up and running. There shouldn't be much that you have to do. You should be pretty much dying of boredom. And on that day, that is definitely not what happened by the sounds of it. So you're expecting this mundane day. You wake up a bit cranky. You're expecting just to go through the motions. Uh, it's, it's drills, from what I understand, from a limited, almost non-existent military knowledge. Um, to be honest, most of my military knowledge comes from listening to some of your interviews on various other podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. So I won't even try and, try and work out the lingo. Um so take us through what did happen on the day. When did things start getting interesting back in that November 2004? Well, um, the day the things started to happen really was more of a, a technical day. It really wasn't a, a, you know, God, here's, you know, UFOs, you know. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I remember because I, it was, uh, I, I'd, come, I'd woken up, but it was really cranky, cranky and grumpy, going up to the, the smoke break. I was out of cigarettes and had no money for any more cigarettes. So I, I kind of had to hang out there for a second until somebody came out there that could uh, maybe provide me with a cigarette. <laughs> Everybody that knows me is about to laugh their ass off when you hear that. And uh, but uh, so and I was talking to one of the spy technicians, uh, the actual spy technicians, because there's uh, a group of guys that that's that's their whole job is just just to take care of that one agent system. Um, we all work together. I worked with the computer systems that run, run those, run all the data recording. Uh, we have, you know, my, my systems are basically the mainframes for all of those systems. So my aspect was computer. And, uh, so one of the spy guys, so when I say spy guys, it's one, you know, and, uh, it's, we're all tight knit groups. So it's, we all work on each other's gear. We all work on, you know, they, they come down when they when they need the, the computers reset or if they need diagnostics run or, you know, things things of that nature. Um, generally, when they're running all of their diagnostics, uh, I'm, I'm having to stand by or somebody's having to stand by in computers, computer central to reset the, uh, the mainframe over and over again until they get all of their settings right. OK, and can I just uh, just double check that this is. This incident we're about to discuss is famously known as the, the Nimitz or the Tic Tac incident, but you were actually based on the, the USS Princeton. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, we were uh, Our ship was called um, uh, Providing Air Defense for the Carrier, and okay. we were, we were uh, basically, we ride alongside shotgun of the carrier, and we provide air defense for them, uh, meaning that if anything comes into our airspace that's, you know, hostile or anything like that or surface or air war we're going to engage it before the carrier does carrier's priority is to launch and recover aircraft not actual combat itself I mean, it has the capability limited capability of combat but our ship was literally designed for combat so it's you know we're 
We think of this as the, the soldier ship. <laughs> yeah, and you're out there basically expecting a simulation of a combat situation. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah what was described to me is that we had uh, a bunch of unknown objects that they uh, they wanted to make sure wasn't just uh, some type of clutter. Not that the systems actually ever really messed up that all that often, but you know when you when you got something like that, you don't want to just run out and say, you know, hey, we got UFOs. You want to make mm-hmm. sure everything is working because if it comes back that uh, you know something went down or something wasn't working right before you reported all that stuff, it, it probably would have been hell to pay. And it's funny that you see you don't want to run out and and say you know oh it's UFOs. Is that ever something you'd come across before? And, and I do mean in the sense of this is an aircraft that we don't know what it is. I don't think any of us really thought it was clutter. Um, there was a little bit of clutter, and clutter generally doesn't look it looks like see like these you know, like a track come and go, come and go, come and go. It's not like a solid track, and or it'll be just like a you know, barely a track. You know, you, you you just it won't it won't hardly come in with a resolution enough to do it. And what those are is actually peaks on the waves. That's mm-hmm. how that's how sensitive the system is. And so when we say we had to calibrate that system, it's not whether it worked or not. It's whether it was working too well or whether it was set too high. Because if it's if it's calibrated too high where you I mean we can we can track the you know a periscope breaking the surface of the water. I mean that's wow. that's that's how uh, you know Precise the the Spy One Bravo radar can actually be if it's not dialed in for its specific tasking. And and uh, someone of your experience, like you've said before as well, like you know what you're looking at. You've you've seen if you've had a glitch before, and you've got a rough idea. Surely, yeah. What we've, you we've, the all the spy guys, all the watchstanders, all the guys that work on that radar on a regular basis, they'd all seen clutter plenty of times. Um, you know, especially in in high seas, like if seas get real rough, you start getting ten foot plus seas, you're going to get clutter because that you're literally you're recording the the wave crests. So it's uh you know that's that's what what it's see the thing about spy is that all clutter is something. It's mm-hmm. not it's not it's not that there was there's any like just a phantom. There's no phantom tracks. It's just it's either something that we shouldn't be tracking and we have to filter it out or uh, it's uh, or it's an actual thing. In this case, it ended up being a lot of actual things. Sure. So you're saying you're you're seeing this clutter on the screen, uh, and your idea is, do you know what? I need to do something because there's hell to pay if if I don't clean this up and it has some kind of computer glitch in the background. But talk talk to us from there. Then what happened? All right. So then we uh, proceeded to get permission from the captain to go ahead and take those systems down. You know, he got a general briefing of what's going on, and and then. Uh, not directly by me, by the way. I just want to make that clear. This is this yeah. would have all been going through the chain of command. Um, so once that did, once that was all all done, I'd get I'd get the word to stand by, so that I could reset uh, the computers. And uh, those were uh, uh, some jargon for you. The Yuck Forty Three computers, which is what we were using. We were using uh, off the shelf systems. Uh, it was a hybrid system called, and it was the baseline six point one Aegis system. And what, why that's significant is because it was the very first system that started using the, what's now, I don't know what it's known now as, but at the time was the Q70 system, which was moving from like the, uh, 60s and 70s technology of, you know, hardwired mainframes to 
off-the-shelf server style uh, fiber optics. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was a really advanced system, and ours was a, a hybridized bastard ship uh, that had half half legacy systems and half Q70 systems, which is why I was the only computer tech on board because they uh, had this uh, discontinued my <laughs> my NEC my rate because of these these new systems. So all the computer techs that were in, that was the last 1144 computer techs there will ever be. So you're going from almost the equivalent of dial-up internet going to a 5G in terms of some of the technology that you're replacing and, and moving about on these ships, yeah? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's probably a, a good jump. And, uh, and then on top of that, we were uh, pioneering uh, some experimental systems that allowed all the ships to share sensor data, kind of like... Uh, Kind of like how you have uh, these uh, these Wi-Fi mesh systems now, where where they just kind of they blanket the entire house, yeah, and, and then each each one has its own range, and then together collectively it you, it gives you your you know a big huge zone of Wi-Fi. Well, now equivalent that zone as like the zone of radar and sensor data that we're all combining together to see one big picture of what's going on around us. And is that you talking as well to the other ships like the Nimitz and anyone else who was out there? You're all combining that blanket to cover what's out in the ocean. Yep. Yeah. Any of the any of the ships or aircraft that had the CEC technology on board were a part of that system. Um, that includes the Hawkeye, the Nimitz, and all of the other ships in the battle group. Awesome. So you're you've got permission. You've taken down um, the the systems. I take it you do some kind of cleaning, if that's the, the right word to use rebooting them, start them back up, and then you expect either not see tracks, but and your experience, you know you're going to see these things again. You're just covering your own back, yeah? Yeah, when, when we brought it back up, we, we, we still were getting these tracks. Uh, they were definitely 100% unknown tracks at this point. Um, so at, at that point, you know, it, it got a little exciting, but, you know, when you like, I originally heard of UFOs and you know, how fast they go, and like how you know it was just sitting there hovering, and then it went from you know hovering to I can't tell how fast it went because it just disappeared. Yeah. And uh, well, you know these things were doing just kind of a consistent kind of kind of drifting south southwards uh, towards San Clemente, and uh, you know doing a hundred knots, which is not a very fast for an aircraft. Uh, you know, we're talking, you know, balloon speed, also, you know, ultralights, uh, you know, generally a commercial aircraft is going to do 200 miles an hour just to get airborne. So for it to be doing a hundred knots was, uh, you know, a little odd. And I remember us, you know, we were talking about that and it was like, well, you know, I, I made the comment of, you know, what are they, balsa wood flyers or, you know. So, you know, what, what do we got? You know, what's going on? And then, of course, you know, because yeah, I could see it in the the watchstander's face. He, he had no idea, you know, what he was looking at. I mean, they weren't. Uh, there's all kinds of transponders and uh, equipment that help identify aircraft. Uh, all commercial aircraft, all military aircraft, they all have, uh, you know, indicators, uh, visual, audio, and uh, radio you know or visual and audio indicators and who they are and what they are and there's also even a a, a system used called 
identification friend or foe. Uh, you'll hear people talk about it, say IFF. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's, a, it's a, just a signal that, that it shoots out and says who you are. That's all it does over and over again. It just it just pulses who you are. I'm, you know, aircraft, uh, light aircraft, you know, well, well, one, 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 two, 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 six heading. And then from there, it'll it'll generate where their heading is and how fast they're going. And, you know, then we could say, OK, that's, uh, you know, commercial, you know, and then if they're too close to us or if they're running through the wrong airspace, they'll get a little warning. Hey, you know, go this way or go that way. And then, you know, all stuff that I never would have had to deal with on a daily basis until these unknown tracks came up. Going up and looking at them radar screens was definitely not on my agenda. Do you know what you make an amazing point? And it's something that th- this incident in particular, until this came up and we saw things like the Tic Tac video, the Gimbal videos, the Go Fast videos, I had never considered things being slow and UFOs uh, being the same. You always think UFO is fast, it disappears. Yeah. And and it's when you talk about something going 100 knots, I actually think, well, something going slow, that's not interesting. But the fact is, <laughs> and you find out from people like yourself and, and some of the people like Kevin Day and David Favor that have been interviewed since, they talk about these things should fall out of the air. They shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to go that slow. So it's that whole extreme of going from super fast speeds that are incredible and we can't do and the human body can't withstand to... This this thing shouldn't still stay in the air like you say. Is it balsa wood? Is it a, is it a drone? Is it floating? And it's still managing to stay to stay and do what it does. And obviously they go on to do some more incredible things as well. But yeah, so at this point, what what's your initial thoughts? What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking. Well, it could be just about anything at this point. I was half expecting them to say that there was a uh, you know a group of hot air balloons and. Uh, you know, you get it. this is the first, you know, this is our first indications of these things. So, um, we really didn't do anything about them for quite a while. Um, are you allowed I, to do anything about it though? Like in your well, position? Uh, I think, I think it would have to generally be the chain of command that really kind of determines whether or not we do something because it didn't really feel like, uh, anybody was real worried about them at all. Like, uh, I know, remember when we were in the Gulf, uh, anything that vectors towards us or comes towards the surface or air, you know, it's getting interrogated immediately. You know, it, we're, we're, you know, we're up, we got loaded weapons, you know, everything's locked and loaded, just point ready, ready to go in case, just in case, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously off the coast of, you know, our own country, uh, you know, doing a training mission with zero weaponry other than small arms, you know, we're not expecting to do an interrogation, but um, just looking back on it, at the time, you don't really question what's going on. You're just kind of sitting there waiting, you know, seeing, you know, just waiting for what the chain of command is going to do. And I remember just kind of getting a little frustrated at a certain point, like, you know, why aren't we doing anything about these things? You know, uh, but they weren't doing anything hostile you know they weren't coming directly at the ships they were just kind of drifting along with us instead and just kind of staying at a certain distance and i mean there was no particular distance it's just they weren't you know they weren't vectoring straight at us they weren't coming right at us you know like a like a missile or a hostile aircraft i mean they're generally going to fly right at you, you okay know, these, so at this point you'd expect it to carry on with the simulation as is and just ignore these that's kind of what I feel like the chain of command decided to do is just kind of ignore this situation and not be the the uh, the battle group that, that tracked unknown aircraft. 
is that is that still that stigma though attached to it do you think as well that i was going to maybe touch on a little bit later but it, is that something that generally in that line of work that people go to because you do still get the laughs and jokes and it's derisory that it's ufos it's aliens and well you got i guess i, I guess you would have to say you gotta get two camps you got the people that are kind of making fun of the situation and then you got the people that just straight up don't believe what's going on. They don't care what you say or what you do. And yeah, the stigma is still there. Uh, for the surface guys like me, guys that work inside the skin of the ship, work on weapon systems, stuff like that, you know, none of us give a crap whether you think, you know, whether we saw aliens or not. But for, you know, nobody's going to have to give me a psychological profile to run my billion dollar weapon system where, uh, you know, a pilot, you know, he comes back down saying he's seeing weird stuff. Well, the first thing they're going to do is give him a psyche valve. You know, right. so yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a big difference between the worlds of Fravor and the worlds of uh, you know Gary Voorhees, the uh, you know mundane computer tech sitting in an air conditioned space with his feet up, waiting for something <laughs> to happen. <laughs> I totally, I totally see where you come from. And but the more the stories come out, they've absolutely both got their their place. And yeah, it's not a, a dog fight with something dropping from eighty thousand feet and and twisting back and forward at you. But I say it's it's quite incredible part of the story that that you've 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 witnessed. Obviously, is there. So, is there anyone else in the room with you just before we move on on that that was also seeing the same thing as you at this point? You're totally carry on. But if you got someone sitting next to you that you're making eye contact and you know going. Well, I would I would talk to the watch standers. You got to remember my uh, my computer room with my computer uh, with all the mainframes and stuff is a separate space from uh, Combat Central, which is what you would see in the movies with the big screens and all the okay. radars and stuff like that. So I would actually have to go up one deck and then go. It's literally right above my space, but it's it's kind of like a, think of an apartment building, and it's literally the apartment right up right above. If I hit my broom on the roof, they're going to hear it. Not sure. Right, okay. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. you get you get the point. So I have to go up to a set of stairs and then then combat's right there, and um, but uh, you know I, I had full access to combat. So you know, in, in during non-combat situations, it's no big deal as long as you're you know as long as there's not a million people in combat. You know, if it's just one guy and I'm up there bullshitting with a watchstander or something like that, it's never a big deal as long as they're still doing their job. Um. So, you know, I'd go up there, talk to the guys, you know, say, hey, you still got that track, you know, or uh, or I'd look at the look at the console itself and try to find out where the bearing is. And, you know, throughout the week, if if I thought it might be close enough to see on the big guys, I'd go try to see it. And sometimes I'd see things. Sometimes I wouldn't. Um, not really at a distance to be, you know, you know, right and home about. But, you know, it was an object moving weird at a, at a distance that, you know, and, and bearing that it was. Uh, same as where the object was or should be from where I saw it on the radar. So uh, I got a little excited about that because, you know, that's and then after the interrogation, that was like uh, that was like, whoa, you know, I got to see when I saw the interrogation video, I was just like, I, I remember that uh, that realization and that, you know, it's like when you your, your hands feel like they just went instantly cold and your brain goes a little numb and it's just like you go into a shock a little just a little bit for like you know oh my god is there something bad gonna happen from this you know are we all gonna get lined up and shot yeah. <laughs> you know am i supposed to be watching this and you know uh yeah so and then but then it kind of passed you know real quick and then just like all right well i need to go get a zip drive and get a copy of this and you know of course 
after we watched it twice and, you know, I got back to my space and went back, back to where I was watching the video, uh, you know, it was already gone. So. And I just want to touch on that then. So f- firstly, just to take you back a step, when you talk about the big eyes, so you've, you've, you've seen it on radar. That's the kind of end of that for you because you're not taking any more action as far as it's concerned. The big eyes, for for layman's terms, that's just a big set of binoculars on top of the on top of the ship. You can look into the distance on. Is that right? That is correct. Cool. Uh, what and you're saying you don't see much to write home about, but enough to get excited. Like, what do you see? Um. So at night, you'll definitely see a lit object. Um, during the day, it would be a bright object still, but it wouldn't, you know, it's not as visible during the day and it would kind of look like a, you know, a, a dark speck. If, you know, if it was a nice, nice day, you could see them if it was close enough. But out of probably the dozens and dozens of times that I tried to see them, I may have only got to see them maybe three times. And, and how was it moving? Was it just sitting there? Could you, could you make out any movement at that distance or? Uh, when I saw it at night a couple of times, I was able to really kind of see it. It, it, it. During the day, unless unless it was sitting still and then it moved a little bit, you really wouldn't notice it that much, not from the distances we were at. And, but I got to see it, um, not in any, like I said, any, any great real detail. Just know that there's a dark object there and I know what it is. And, you know, but, you know, I was kind of hoping it would come closer. <laughs> You know, it's like, I, I, I can literally remember at one point at night I was up there and nobody else was up there. It was windy as hell. Uh, it was just kind of a crappy night for weather. Uh, it was clear, but it was windy. And when it's really windy, you don't really want to be out on the skin of the ship while we're while we're trugging along. Yeah. Um, especially where the big, you know, the big eyes is, it's it's real windy. Um, I can remember looking through that thing and just like almost like wishing that it would come just just come closer so I can see exactly what you look like. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's totally natural as well. And just to pre- prefix a question I'm going to ask, did did you have a belief in, just to say, aliens, UFOs, UAPs, extraterrestrials, whatever this might be beforehand? Or is this something that changed your thinking? Um, well, I don't think it really ever changed my thinking. I think it definitely uh, changed my perspective on... Um, what is possible um i've always been uh you know more i guess more skeptical of everything more of a skeptical believer it's like ufos are cool werewolves are cool but until i see one they really aren't real it's just a great it's just a great story you know if you know basically until you see one everybody else has mental illness (laughs) yeah yeah and so at the time you're seeing this object what would your thoughts have been like what what do you think it is is it just something that wow that's cool or is your mind kind of wandering or well uh i remember how does it work how can it move like that um how can it possibly be what we what we're you know how is this thing doing the things that it's doing how is it going from you know like 28,000 feet to sea level in seconds. You know, how is it moving from one point in the sky to another point in the sky in, you know, in a way that when you're looking at it, like uh, there was one time, the one time when I really got to see it move on the horizon was at night and it moved from one point to another. And I remember 
not realizing it moved at first because of how fast it moved. And then I was like, well, maybe it was a different object. And then now, sure enough, you know, it wasn't. You know, so it was just the same object. It had just moved from one point to another. And, uh, you know, it, it's like your brain took a second to, to really kind of grasp that it moved. It moved so fast. And with the passing of time, has your opinion from what you know then and what you know now, things you've experienced, and with 16 years, you know, extra experience, if you want to call that on top, do you still think the same about it? Is there anything more you would you would add to that? Well, I've played out a lot of different scenarios in my head. There's just so much unknown uh, about everything about it. You know, I mean, really, the only thing that I could take away is that that there's technology that's either being cartelled on our planet or not from our planet, or I mean, and it's just there's just not enough information in any way to really say. 100% that this is alien, 100% this is the government. You know, um, I've been approached by everybody under the sun, you know, so, so people telling me that they're demons, tell, and then and they have conclusive proof. But anybody that comes at me that says they know 100% what, what everything is, I generally start with skepticism because <laughs> sure. I know I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not any anybody crazy important but i worked on a lot of you know weapon systems and i and i've got a lot of people around me that do know a lot of things and you know none of them know what it is you know i know people that make me feel stupid and they have no idea what this is so how does this you know you know this person that literally hasn't been anywhere done anything you know gonna know 100 percent sure that these are, you know, aliens from Zeta Reticuli and that, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anybody that says they know for sure, I generally kind of dismiss until they give me real proof. No, of course. And listen, I'll, I'll let my mind wander as fantastic as, oh, as yeah. I can. But there comes a point you have to look and go, yeah. But but is that and the, the amount of people I follow on Twitter and particularly recent, recently some sightings that's been on there and you look and go, yeah, and I'd love to say that's an alien spacecraft, or I'd love to say that's even some kind of incredible US, Chinese, Russian piece of technology, but it, it clearly looks like it's probably a balloon, or do you know what, someone's knocked it up on their PC in five minutes with CGI, and you still get those comments <laughs> that try and pass this off, and that, that never helps the situation, so I, I can totally appreciate that. One thing, just before I move on slightly, I want to take you back to, if you don't mind, it was the second point I wanted to make. So you mentioned about the, the radar data, uh, you potentially wanted to take some of it on a zip drive and, you know, for your own personal kind of reference in future. Not to go back too much, but David Fravor has mentioned that he believes the data was more than likely deleted unintentionally. Um, whereas, am I right to say you've been quoted that a helicopter arrived on ship and then 20 minutes later the data was gone, so it was actually taken off the ship as far as you know? Now, you got to remember that the data I'm talking about is radar tracks, radar data, uh, environmental data. Um, the stuff that basically everything that the Aegis weapon system and the ZC systems record, um, which is still, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a three dimensional picture of everything that went on. If you have the right software to look at it. Yeah. All right. And so, I mean, that's what was taken from me. What was taken from David Fravor would have been his actual video, the FLIR video, the actual okay. physical video. So the, so you got two, two different. You got apples and oranges there, you know, so it's, um, 
that's yeah. that's fair. Thanks for clearing that up. And can I just ask then, so that data being taken, is that normal practice? Or would you have expected that to still have been there? So what I'm trying to get as is, I believe at one point you said men in suits. I don't want to say the words men in black, because that's clearly, <laughs> yeah. I think what I, I, refer to them as, uh, I refer to them as the men in khaki. <laughs> the men in khaki, right, okay. Because they were just, they were dressed averagely. Um, uh, they were guys, uh, polos, khakis, you know, blue jeans, they came aboard, windbreakers. Uh, they came aboard. 30 minutes later, I had to turn over all my tapes, and the helicopter left. My assumption is they took all the tapes and data. Um, they were not on board the ship afterwards. So, uh, are, you su- then, are you surprised at that, given what you saw, given what was recorded? No. Uh, we had an incident where a aircraft went down during uh, during one of the deployments, and, uh, you know, once that was done, we were told to mark the tape, you know, mark which tapes would have recorded it and set them aside. And they, and then they had people come aboard and take those, but it wasn't like this was, uh, you know, that was when we hit port again, there was somebody to take those tapes. There really wasn't a, a pressing matter. There wasn't somebody coming flying out to the ship to pick them up. Um, you know, they were, do, they were doing an investigation, but, you know, we were in the Arabian Gulf, so it what you know we were in the middle of you know destroying an entire country at the time, so they weren't it wasn't a priority. There's been a bit of a gap now since that incident and leading up to the events that kind of got you coming out and starting to do interviews and what. Yeah, uh, well, basically that started back up in uh, 2017 when the New York Times did the article about the the Nimitz event, and uh, David Graeber came out and. Uh, about it and you know publicly admitted that he you know basically got into it i don't really consider it a dog fight but a dog fight with an alien spacecraft uh, i think you would have to actually have a dog in that fight to have it as a dog fight <laughs> so yeah i think i used the phrase dog fight earlier and i think dog fight you're thinking will smith independence day that's yeah. a dog fight yeah okay so maybe more of an interaction uh, to, to, him, to him he's flying against an unknown aircraft so for him it, it is a hundred percent a dog fight he didn't stand a chance, but you know he, he was definitely you know flying you know flying trying to find wing wing to no wing to this object, and uh, you know it just it circles around him. So, and he was one of our best pilots. Uh, he you know he was he was you know rated, highly rated as you know as a pilot. You know he was he had a, a crazy long service history. You know he he had credentials. I mean up and down his sleeves across his chest as far as the eye can see you know i mean <laughs> we're not talking about like you know some green pilot that just threw you know <laughs> through this on is a, tom on tom a, cruise and top gun you're talking about here this is uh, you know, top he, of the class type guy yeah he's definitely you know a highly intelligent articulate person that you know got where he got because of his skill set you know so you know it, and you just meant you just mentioned there, Gary, so that this all kind of came about, and you've you've came to the forefront with some others since that New York Times article in December 2017. And when I say I've always had an interest in ufology and UFOs, this really ignited what I was interested in. And again, like it did for so many people as well. What were your thoughts when you saw those headlines and you saw what came out in the content? Well, I'll be honest with you, I didn't see them. I nope. didn't see anything until almost 2018. Um, when I was contacted by a shipmate that everybody knows now, um, 
But, would that uh, be Kevin Day? That would be Mr. Kevin Day. He uh, he, he contacted me with uh, a filmmaker that I had no idea who he was, Dave Beatty. And Dave Beatty, you know, he said, "Hey, you know, I got this guy, Dave Beatty. Um, he'd like to do an interview with you if you're, you know, if you're willing to talk." And you know, at first, I I, I was a bit hesitant to talk about it, you know, because I mean, classified information, you know, it was a classified situation. You know, so I wanted to make sure that I couldn't get in trouble for talking about it first. So, and so I contact some of my, uh, uh, you know, people I worked with, and, you know, because I remember signing something, and what it ended up being was just a chain of custody for my for my data recording tapes. So, so was your did you think it was some kind of non disclosure agreement that you shouldn't yeah, be talking thought, about? Yeah, that? I just wanted to make sure what I signed wasn't like a non disclosure or anything like that. But then I got confirmation that, you know, I definitely didn't sign any type of non disclosure. So after that, I, I really didn't have a problem talking about it because I mean most of the most of the world's not gonna believe you anyways. So what did it have to hurt to get the story out there and support my shipmates, you know? No, and it's been amazing that so many of you have came forward and and since then, there are still people coming out, and again, we can only hope more and more comes out and more incidents, you know, to build on this because so many kind of false dawns have happened where, not to use the D word, but like disclosure for whatever that is and what that means to different people. See, there'll just never be the type of disclosure that everybody in this field wants. It's going to be trickled down, it's going yeah. to be filtered into our society, it'll be you know, when it's here, we won't know it's here because it, it would have already been integrated into our society. And, yeah, the um, the famous UFO landing on the White House lawn, I think, yeah. is what people think. That's what they would need. And let's be honest, I think there's still a lot of people, especially in today's society, that wouldn't believe it and still would think there was something to it. Or... Can I just ask, D- Dave Beatty, you mentioned that was Dave Beatty was doing a documentary. Was that the Unidentified series that you got involved in? No, uh, I actually didn't get involved with uh, To the Stars Academy and the uh, the History Channel until after um, we did the UFO Con. Um, actually, was it before or after? No, it was before. All right, I said no. We filmed that before, uh, but it was after they had gotten a hold of me, and uh, then the History Channel got a hold of uh, uh, everybody else, and then they asked, and then I got. Uh, a phone call from uh, you know, all, all of the top dogs and to the Stars Academy, you know, trying to get me to do an interview. And I'm like, well, where are we going to do this interview? Because I, I, I can't leave, <laughs> you know. And so they end up being, doing that interview right, right in my house. Um, and for something I want to do later, I'll talk about. But are you talking about like your Lou yeah. Elizondo, Tom DeLonge, yeah. Chris Mellon? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I never, I never got to talk to Tom DeLong, but uh, I did get to talk to Tom DeLong one time. He, uh, but I, I talked to him in 2003 on the end of our deployment. Matter of fact, it wasn't, but maybe a half a year before this event, him and his band did a, uh, a USO uh, uh, concert on the Nimitz on our way back from deployment. That's cool. So you got to see Blink One Eight Two. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went to the carrier, got to see uh, Tom DeLonge in concert, and then you know here here I am, you know, seventeen years later, and the guy, you know, his guy's organization's contacting me to talk about UFOs. <laughs> and, and he probably played a song if you know them well enough. Aliens exist, which is all about you know the CIA and aliens and his yeah. beliefs and whatnot. So it's amazing what what's happened. So can you talk to me a little bit about the uh, 
unidentified how that came about getting involved with it and your thoughts on to the stars academy well i i don't have much of a thought about the stars i, I don't really honestly i really don't care either way what they do um if they uh you know i got a feeling that once they got the government back involved with their research that it goes back to being hush hush it's just more of a yes we are working on it but no we can't talk about it you know, and that's, you know, because there's no there's nothing that the government's going to do or have its fingers in. It's not classified while they're researching. it. You know, so is that disappointing for you that they've, they've went that way? Um, like I said, I if I was a part of that organization, uh, it might be. But in, you know, and in the future, if their organization ever actually wants to get involved with like UAPX, you know, they've got the resources um, but all resources come with strings, which is like why with with our nonprofit, our board of directors, uh, we decided that we would be donation only, and we would not let people actually invest into UP, UAPX. And I'm going to come on to UAPX actually in just a minute. I just want to get one more thought then on on TTSA then. So with them going down the route of being involved with the government. So maybe you're not surprised. What if you were the government? Why do you want to bring a group like TTSA in house like that? What would your thoughts be? Well, I mean, look at the people that were involved. I mean, I remember looking up Chris Mellon for the first time and like, why the fuck is this guy coming out to talk to me? He's a bit more important than me. <laughs> right. You know, just just the guy's title was more important than anything I've ever done in my life. So. <laughs> you know, here are these people that like have this, uh, you know, these crazy credentials and they're all talking to me like I'm, uh, you know, doing this you know, great service to the world. You know, it's like, um, it, you know, it's hard to believe. <laughs> so did, did you watch the series yourself, the six episodes? Yes, I, I watched I watched the series like, uh, you know, because um, you know, Kevin Day, Sean Cahill, uh, those guys are, are good buddies of mine. Um, I remember. Me and Sean used to used to BS a lot on board when we were on deployment. Um, you know, so I mean, it's yeah, I, I I know all of those guys really well. So it was more of a personal interest from that point of view, rather than I wonder yeah. where this is going. And like you say, you maybe don't have that you don't have that investment with them. It was more a case of it was something you were involved in from the instant standpoint. But. Honest with you, I, I'd be happy if they just came to my house, sat down, told me everything, and said, "Well, you just can't ever talk about it." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm good." Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough, man. You've mentioned UAP expeditions. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, your involvement. Right. I understand you're a vice president. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, so a lot about your involvement, your goals and aims, um, just to start with, please. All right. So Kevin came to me a couple of years ago with this idea of starting a nonprofit to go and try to research these objects that we saw. Well, you know, at first uh, it really was kind of not really going anywhere. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. He goes, I, you know, I need you to be the president and, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, is it only a name? Because I, I really just don't have time for this. <laughs> you know, I got a full time job. I'm, I've got a family to deal with. Uh, you know, to, to work, and you know, I, I've got to have time for my family, time for work, and you know, helping helping run a nonprofit takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, so I said, well, I'll be the vice president just so that I can, you know, I can take time off from you know from it. <laughs> yeah. He goes, no, he, goes, oh, he goes, that works. That works. Yeah. So um, then we uh, kind of had just that loose structure for a long time. 
and then now that uh, things are starting to come together a little bit more, uh, we've we've got uh, a little bit of our infrastructure already set up for you know uh, everything. We've got our uh, our game plan. You know, we're going to go out back out off the coast and near San Clemente. Uh, we've already got the areas uh, that, that the area that we're going to investigate uh, already sectioned off. We're going to have two two ships. We're going to go out there. We're going to check for every type of radiation. We're going to do you know, uh, you know we're going to do magnetics. We're going to check for gravity. You know we're we're going to do yeah. If there's a sensor that you can check for something, we are going to be able to. Uh, we're going to do a grid pattern across that entire area. We're going to do environmentals. We're going to do um, salinity tests. We, I mean, we, we were li- we're literally going to leave no stone unturned in that area to find out why that area is such a hot spot. And uh, because uh, after we did some investigation, we found out for you know over a hundred years, the people that have lived all throughout there, the Baja Peninsula. And everything have been seeing, you know, everything from orbs to just, you know, to the same objects we saw to you know, all kinds of weird phenomenon out in those waters to stuff under the water, too. You know, so it's, uh, you know, fast moving objects zipping under the water lit up, you know, I mean, and granted, I have no idea what those could be, but it's still enough for us to want to heavily research that area. Um, and that, so that's our whole goal for now, is just to try to research that area, try to get some data, some hard at, hard data on something that's going on in that area. Maybe if we're lucky, we might even be able to actually film, record, and you know get some actual data on Tic Tacs too. I've got a couple of questions that I've had a few people ask me to ask you, right. and then I've got a, basically a quick fire to end on where I'm going to reach out a word or a name and just get your thoughts on it if you've got any, okay? Sounds good. Um, so uh, I've got uh, Gareth has basically got in touch uh, with two questions and he's saying there's been so many sightings recently, um, especially celebrities getting involved in the kind of UFO field. If you've seen Logan Paul the last few days on Twitter um, or uh, Michelle Schultz, a boxing analyst, uh, has posted a lot of videos on as well. Do you think it's only a matter of time before we do get any kind of smoking gun footage captured? Well, um. Uh, unless we we have uh, you know networks of cameras uh, set up, and there's actually a couple of companies that if you if you go to our website, one I, I sorry the names just passing me up now, but they they've actually partnered with us, and their whole goal is to set up these like observatories, these small observatories, these cameras, just to just to catch things in the sky, and I think until we get a big enough amount of people looking up that we're not going to get any of this really good information that we really want to. I mean, the fact that, you know, it's been just kind of written off for so long. Hi. <laughs> My daughter came hi. That's all right. Say hi. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's only going to be through that kind of research that we're going to be able to actually get that nice footage that we want and even if you get that nice clear crisp footage are we going to believe it yeah you know i mean because i mean we've been used to look at these fuzzy grainy things and trying to interpret these pictures and these horrible flare videos and these super compressed garbage videos you know so it's uh 
all of a sudden you get something super clear and it's like, oh, this is obviously fake. I mean, yeah. there's no there's no way somebody's getting 4K video of this, you know. And then of course 4K video looks fake. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's something that really really grinds with me is when you see a, a, what looks like a good piece of YouTube UFO footage and it'll say something like the 1st of December 2019 Santiago Chile and someone's filmed it from their balcony and you think oh that that is really interesting and they get a good zoom and you see it's a minute and a half long and at the end of the minute and a half it cuts off and you think I want I want to see it leave I want to see this thing shoot off and what that looks like and it just always seems to cut off at the wrong bit now, yeah. I get why a tic-tac and a gimbal video cuts off, because that's where we've been told it's to be cut off, and that's what we're allowed to see, so we don't get to see the good stuff, I suppose, if you want to call it that. But the raw footage that's taken by the public, that always disappoints me, that you don't get to maybe see... I get these things arriving, because it's spon- spontaneous, yeah. but you don't get to see maybe some of that stuff. Then the other problem is, is just that, you know, who's going to be set up to, you know, produce a nice video of a ufo in an instant when it happens you know i think that if i hadn't been you know behind a radar screen and these things hadn't been floating out there for so long that i don't think i would have been ready for it i think if they had zipped by the ship i would have just been like whoa <laughs> yeah have, know, have, like, i take it you've heard of nick pope who nick pope he nick, nick pope yeah um, he does a lot of the, he's from Britain. He basically ran what you would call the X-Files for the Ministry of Defense in the UK. All right. Um, so that very famously, um, that he was in a lot of papers and he does a lot of, uh, work with movies and TV shows. He's on things like Ancient Aliens. Very intelligent guy. He doesn't give opinions and he will never say something as an alien spacecraft or an alien. He's very clever. Um, very govern, uh, government minded that way. We went to a, a, a talk. He lives in Los Angeles now, but he came to Berwick in the UK a couple of years ago uh, as a one-off. He arranged a kind of lecture talk, and it was very informal, but it was really interesting. And he mentions that there is a, as he says, a rumour that there is a photograph in the UK Ministry of Defence that was taken by someone who was just photo- uh, photographing the landscape middle of the day um, in a very kind of hilly rural area in the UK. And basically it is a, whatever type of fighter jet, I won't even hazard a guess at the number, F something no doubt, um, with this very clear UFO in front of it, this basically spacecraft flying through the hills middle of the day, and he says this picture, apparently you couldn't get any clearer, and it was sent into the Ministry of Defence anonymously by this photographer who was somewhere that just happened to be in a spot at a certain time taking a picture, and he sent this in with a message of, I shouldn't have this, thought you might be better off keeping it in a safe place. Um, and he kind of mentioned that within the talk. And as you say, it's that sort of, even if that sort of photograph did surface, you would look at it and go, yeah, that's fake. That's too good. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'd be guilty of the first thing. You know, if something's too clear or too perfect, you know, I'm like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, my skeptics, my skeptic vibe just pops. You know, I'm just yeah. like, ah, you know. Because, I mean, I've seen so much stuff out there that's just, you know, maybe not obviously fake, but definitely not not real. And just, uh, you know, kind of kind of irritates me. You know, if, if you want to do something cool like that, that, that's fine. But just label it that, you know, hey, hey, check out my fake UFO video, you know. Yeah, this is you what know? I think they would look like. Yeah. You know, or, or if you're going to or if you're going to do just to see, you know, whether people would believe it or not, don't don't let it go on too long. You know, say, hey. 
you know, hey, check this video out and then see, you know, for a couple of days how it goes and then get on there and say, OK, yeah, I made this, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, stuff like that, I, I don't really have a problem with. But the people that, you know, try to pass the shit off as is real and then, you know, run through conference after conference. And, you know, I mean, there's really no money to be made in this field. So I don't understand why people even try to bullshit this stuff. Yeah, and that's it waters down the stuff that could be relevant or interesting or a really good discussion point. So Gareth had a second question. Um, do you think with us being kind of locked away just now across the world and nature kind of taking its charge that this may lead to any more activity from kind of UFOs and whatnot? I think indirectly. Uh, I don't think the activity is getting any more or less. I think just the, A, the amount of people on the planet is, is well, it's, you know, today is always the most people that have ever been on the planet. Mm. <laughs> the only yeah. difference is, is now that might not be true because we have, you know, so many people dying right now. Yeah. Um, yeah and I don't, I don't say that lightly, but, you know, anytime you get, you start getting ridiculously dense populations, it's been throughout entire history that bad things are going to happen. You know, yeah. diseases and things like of that nature. Um, nature always tries to balance itself out, whether it's uh, through, you know, high strangeness and just a, a situation that, uh, you know, happens or if it's, you know, man-made and just that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. But, but when it comes down to it, uh, I think it's just more people are home, more people are looking up, more people have more time. When you have more time, you think more, you know, and when you're thinking about it and, uh, Hey, I might step outside tonight and go ahead and look up for a little while. And then all of a sudden, Hey, lo and behold, I saw something that didn't look like a satellite. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. you know, or I I'm, had I'm, I'm lucky enough to live in a very uh, kind of it's, it's a nice area. It's not a lot of light pollution. The skies when they're clear are really, really clear. And I've walked on countless branches, fences, walls, walking the dog because I will look about uh, constantly. And <laughs> you do kind of see more things, and you get used to. There's a space station flying over, and I've got my apps that track the times. And now we've got Elon Musk's Starlink satellite train flying overhead. Oh, that uh, thing, that thing looks now. amazing when it goes across the sky. I mean, it just it really kind of. Uh, it blows your mind. I, I've luckily, I, 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 unluckily, I haven't actually been able to see it, but I've seen seen some videos of it just ripping across the sky because those satellites have to be in such a low orbit to provide the type of uh, the internet that he wants to provide the world. So yeah. you can see them so clear, and it's just amazing when you see them just zip across, and it's all in one of this crazy little line. Uh, I did see them recently, and the first time I saw them, I knew about them being launched. Didn't know they were passing over, and it was a couple of months ago. And I remember walking the dog coming back and seeing this one light pop over the house. And then the second light pops over, and the third light pops over. And I was like, I got my wife, who is the most skeptical skeptic. I said, look at that, look at that, look at that. And even she was like, that's that's pretty amazing. That's got to be something. And before we knew it, we had 16 lights counted. And then just, again, even me who really wants to believe I'm seeing what I want to see, yeah. I was like, wait a second, that's not that Starlink satellite system. And I checked, and yep, sure enough, it was scheduled to be flying over the UK at that time. So well, Think about this. Eventually, he wants to have 300,000 of those. Yeah, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of um, uh, folk debating today online, a lot of um, folk into their astro- astronomy, that uh, it's going to ruin basically stargazing. It's going to ruin people who want to spot UFOs because this, the sky is going to be filled with basically small moving 
dots of light everywhere. But on the flip side, he's, he's talking about giving everybody free internet. <laughs> that that's yeah, that's always a benefit. So you have to kind of weigh up the pros and cons, don't you? Yeah. Maybe when we get the video cameras get better and better, we'll be able to spot these things in the nighttime sky. Um, I had one more question sent in from Eddie, and it was, have you had any moments before or after the main incident with the Princeton and the Nimitz that you've thought to yourself you might be seeing something kind of alien, otherworldly, something you shouldn't be seeing? No. That This was the moment, this was it. That's it. That's my 15. <laughs> Do you know what? It's not a bad 15, to be fair. Um, yeah, listen, I agree. Just, just before you go, Gary, I've got a quick fire quit. Um, couple you can, of words. You can ask me as many questions as you want, man. I'm, I'm, awesome. I'm first off, just a few words or a few sentences. What comes to mind, and if nothing does, we can move on to the next one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first one you kind of touched on earlier, but just to come back to it, because it's really important. That the D word disclosure. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Well, what comes to mind is is that, uh, like I said, I, I don't ever think that it it can come out. Um, disclosure gets too close to national security, um, even even to the people that would love to tell you. Uh, you know, that's the reason why I think that when these presidents are running for for office and they say, you know, I'm going to get to the bottom of this alien situation, and then they find out, and then they're just like, well, shit, you know, I, I can't say that. I can't even talk about that. You know, you know, when they truly find out, you know, what's going on. I got a feeling that, you know, they just can't talk about it. And, you know, whether it's a, you know, stability of our economy or stability of our security, you know, as no country is going to admit that they can't provide a hundred percent security to their country. And that starts and stops with classifying any information that is to the contrary to that. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose we're seeing a bit of a taste in that um, with a virus at the minute uh, as yeah. it's kind of going throughout the world that people have been stockpiling toilet paper um, to kind of combat this. So the way they've reacted to this probably shows you that something like that coming out, which, let's be honest, is probably the biggest single biggest story of all time. They're not going to react well to it. So, no, they won't react real to it. Apparently, everybody thought they were going to shit themselves to death. Yeah, that, yeah, that was that was the least of people's problems. But yeah, the toilet paper went pretty quickly. Um, next one I want to ask you, uh, Lou Elizondo. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Um, I think he's legit. I think that he's been where he says he has, and he's done what he says he has done. Um, because. It, he's, you know, he talks exactly like somebody that would be in that situation where he wants to be on the mainstream with it, but there's just stuff he can't talk about, so he has to prove it instead. He has to come back. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if I want to talk about something about my system or something like that, I actually will Google whatever I want to talk about to see whether or not it's already out there. And then if it's already out there, I'll talk about it. And and I have to just double check to make sure it's not classified. But luckily for me, all my stuff was from 16 plus years ago. So most of that stuff is, has, has already been sold off to other countries. <laughs> so, okay. So, so, I could, so, so, I, so, I'm, so I'm good with talking about some of the systems. But there's some, some system specifications like frequencies and events and times and things like that, but not related to this incident I, I still can't talk about but and that's what people don't understand and the way he talks it's 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 kind of i kind of kind of feel the feel him when it comes to that stuff because 
you know, if he really was working hand in hand with that stuff, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I had a buddy that was a, a spook, which is basically an intelligence guy. You know, he, mm-hmm. you know, great guy and everything like that. And when you asked him what he did, he say, yeah, I'm a spook. And you go, well, what did you do? And he goes, well, I do spook stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? He goes, you know what I do. And I go, I know what you do. I go, can you tell me about it? No. You know, it's just, you know, so it's, you know, it's kind of that type of situation. So if he can actually come up with the actual evidence in the civilian world for what he already knows, well, then, you know, then he can move on and actually talk about it. But until he does that, you know, I don't think he can really talk about it. And plus, if he, you know, you know, people that are stressing him about, you know, wanting solid records about, you know, him, his involvement with ATIP and things like that. And, you know, here's here's a program that literally didn't exist until a couple of years ago. I mean, it existed, but it didn't exist. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they're not going to they're going to have their roster or record of their, who worked there. You know, they're not going to. Yeah. I mean, it's just. It's just illogical for me to think that the government would admit that, you know, who worked on what projects and stuff like that and start being able to throw uh, tracers for people to actually trace down these track down these people that worked in these projects. And, you know, uh, you know, poor Lou, I mean, no matter what he does, whether he's telling the truth or not, you know, he's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. The only difference is he's, he's not making he's not making crazy, outrageous claims. And maybe not like other people in that organization, but yeah. you know, he, he just got kind of stuck in that crossfire there. And you know, him and Chris Mellon, uh, they're upstanding guys. I mean, very intelligent guys. I mean, you can see it right in their eyes when they talk to you. You know, I mean, and I'm not talking about that corny shit that you saw on TV. You know, when you actually talk to them, you know, they they come off as as very intelligent people, very you know, very calculated, very you know, like they know more about what's going on in your room than you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, so it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you exactly what I know to be true to myself. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Because you probably already know more than I do. You know, you probably investigated this situation. <laughs> I, I can totally get where he comes from. Like with a guy like Lou Elizondo, like he can talk for hours. And I watched one of his YouTube videos. Well, not one of his, but some from some conference he done last year. And it's him standing at a PowerPoint for about two and a half hours. And at the end of it, he, he tells you nothing, but he says quite a lot. And he keeps mm. you interested and intrigued the whole time. And I think if Lou Elizondo had a slogan on a T-shirt, it would be, look at the data. Because all he tells you is, look at the data, look at the data. And he's trying to tell you as much as he can. I see yeah. what you mean without coming out and saying, yes, these things are alien. Yes, they come from here. Yes, they do this. It's like, it, is it not? It's almost from an area, a, a place of frustration that are these things not fascinating enough just with this sample of data that you can't find that intriguing enough to take on? Uh, just like when I hear people say that, uh, you know, enough with the, the, the Nimitz encounter and stuff like that. And I go, well, you know, that's, that's fine if you're bored with that. But, I mean, it's still the first time in human history that the United States government in any capacity has admitted that there are unknown objects that they track on a regular basis. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that in itself, I mean, if you knew nothing about the situation, that in itself is one of the most amazing pieces of information that, you know, it, it, you know, 20 years ago, people doing this research, if they had gotten that, they would have been like, oh, my God. You know, that would have been disclosure for them. <laughs> yeah. If, if someone told you before this happened that that was going to happen, well, it would have blown your mind. That, that, nah, that's that's too much. But well, The only people that aren't happy are the ones that actually want to, uh, you know, 
see and visit and travel with aliens. Have you got any thoughts on ultra-terrestrials and that concept or theory? It's something that Tom DeLong's talked about. Now, is it the theory that they're coming from different dimensions? Yeah, potentially. This planet, but different dimensions, or that there's another potential older race that are on this planet. You know, I think it's been described as a little bit like Wakanda and Black Panther. That yeah. There could be like that whole hidden civilization that's here. Something I like think- that. I think that if their technology was advanced enough that they definitely could hide in plain sight relatively easy from us um, because they would probably have techniques to, you know, alter memory and things like that. So, I mean, they could literally just run a whole operation here on the planet and nobody would ever know. Um, so, I mean, by that, ex- by that, then I, I think that, you know, there's a possibility of that. Um, I've thrown around that idea. I've even thrown around the idea that, uh, you know, there's been ancient, you know, there's been a whole other massively advanced civilizations on this very planet before we ever evolved. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, there's, and then of course, uh, being, I, I'm a, a crazy novice in, in physics, but it, it honestly, I love physics. And one of the things that, has caught my interest is a lot of the advances in quantum physics lately. And, you know, uh, for, for the people that aren't familiar with, you know, quantum physics and regular physics, they're not two different physics. Uh, it's just that, and they've been around forever. Quantum physics has been around forever. Uh, you know, during Einstein's time, they knew about it. They just didn't use it because it wasn't as handy. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, if you're using, you know, regular standard stuff, I'm trying to figure out how this ball drops and goes across my yard. I'm going to use a standard model physics because it all works. But if I'm going to try to figure out every air molecule that moved off of that ball and then interacted with every quark that reacted every neon, every particle, every light particle and stuff like that, that while that ball is moving through and then trying to calculate, you know, everything else like that, I'm going to use quantum physics. <laughs> so it's, it's more it's more of quantifying the small rather than the big. Awesome. What about the um, extraterrestrial? Where does that sit with you in this whole thing? So now the ultra-terrestrial uh, seems plausible for me because of my uh, thoughts on, on how the universe started and that. Uh, when when trying to look back on trying to figure out doing uh, thought experiments on like how the universe came into being with the Big Bang, you know, um, and I had heard a heard a statement from a physicist saying that you know it's 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 it could be possible that the Big Bang was basically the backside of a black hole. You mm-hmm. know, it basically they're saying that in another dimension that enough material got got pulled into a black hole in that dimension that it actually burst into our dimension, causing a big bang of of material. Mm-hmm. And then at the very moment that that material started to move through this dimension, that it actually created the dimension itself. Now, for every possible direction that the that this material could have moved in, that's a different dimension that would have been created. And then not on top of that, or not... Uh, on top of that, you're going to actually have, uh, or not dimensions, but you're going to have uh, parallel existences to this one. So mm-hmm. not only different dimensions, but parallel existences too. 
you know, basically the ups and the downs, you know, you get your, your first, second, or your, your first, second, third, all the way up to seventh dimension. I think they've, they mathematically proven exists or, you know, and then, I'll take your word on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I've only read a couple of things on that right now. And then of course, uh, yeah, they, there's a, there's a, there's a theory that there's multiple existences too, multiple realities. And I think that those realities come into play whenever there's a, a choice, whether you whether you blinked that moment or you didn't blink that moment. Now you have two different realities. So for every, so for every for every micro thought, every 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 micro inflection on your face, there was always something different you could have done, and there was an infinite amount of universes that were created at that one moment. So it's uh, yeah, I've thought a little too far into all this, so <laughs> we won't go too no. far. Into- but from what I think uh, could technically be possible with physics, that there is a very, very real possibility that these could come from another dimension or even a, a parallel universe. So you would say less likely to be another planet, more likely dimensional? Um, due, due, to, due to the amount of time that it would take to move around, because... All right, say somebody, somebody, say somebody did visit our planet, and they were just uh, um, uh, there's there's a there's a scientist Kevin Knuth that's in part of my uh, the UAPX uh, organization, and he actually summed it up really well in one of his lectures. Uh, say I visit your planet and I leave. Once I leave, time is relative to your planet. It could be ten thousand years before I even get back to your planet, but for me, it could have only been you know, a dozen years. Mm-hmm. You know, I come back, and you know, evolution's taking a turn for the for for the worst. <laughs> or, you know, if I come here, I could have just set up set up camp with with remote operations, and then moved on to the next planet, never to come back here. But now you see the remnants of me because I left a bunch of you know remote operated vehicles to track and maintain uh, what's going on here. I left a bunch of Tic Tacs off the California yeah. coast, buzzing about uh, and craft carrier groups. Now, those are the more fantastic ideas that I've come up with. And, of course, those are the ones that people want to hear. Um, the, the, the real reality of the situation is, is, is it, it very well could be just our own technology that's been cartelled, our own, you know, our own people. Because when it comes down to it, we've seen it happen with oil. We've seen it happen with diamonds. We've seen it happen with every natural resource on this planet Mm -hmm. it's you know for me for the people to say that it doesn't happen with technology well i'm i'm sad to say that there's a lot of tech i've seen that it still hasn't even hit the market nothing fantastic just you know it's like i remember when oleds finally hit the market i saw that shit like 30 years prior listen so that's that's a great one i've another couple of words to throw at you then i kind of finish up um uh, any thoughts on bob lazar and his story i think that there's truth there that got corrupted by a media. Okay. And not uh, corrupted in a way that, that like they twisted it, but I have a feeling that the guy had a fantastic story to begin with that got just blown up to a proportion that it didn't need to be. And I think the guy kind of felt like he had to keep up with it and something new all the time. You know, I, I see a, I see a guy that something fantastic happened to that it just got turned and twisted and changed 
into an animal that he couldn't control anymore. And I think that's really why he kind of went off the grid for so long because he just couldn't control the narrative anymore. He couldn't control the story. It was just had a, had a mind of its own after a certain point. Totally fair. Um, and I want to ask you to kind of summarize a little bit. Where do you see things as related to this topic in the next five years? I see all of us still craving for more knowledge. <laughs> Unfortunately, and, but... And all of us waiting for the next Tic Tac incident. Do you see anything else coming out like, not that, as you say, the, the Princeton Nimitz, not that it's amazing, but do you think we'll get more release that have happened more recently? Because a lot's came out that potentially we know there's been more incidents, but well, do you think it will come out? Well, I think that it definitely will become uh, more commonplace. I think that with the Nimitz incident that it's now going to be a little bit more mainstream. So there's been some really good push forward for this to be a mainstream topic. And what I'm really hoping for the future is real science, real scientists, you know, people that would have just scoffed at this years ago, hopping on that bandwagon, kind of like when Einstein was trying to say that time was relative and that, uh, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're nuts, guy. You know, and then all of a sudden he was proven right and everybody jumps on that bandwagon and starts riding, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the doing the trip to Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I'm really hoping that it becomes even more mainstream. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, colleges that instead of instead of having this under their their paranormal, uh, you know, the few colleges that have degrees in paranormal psychology or paranormal uh, or par paranormal studies. Um, I hope that it becomes a, a topic that is well researched and actually it brings in some, you know, more brilliant minds like, uh, you know, like Deep, like Deep Facade and uh, Kevin Knuth and, uh, you know, uh, people of that nature where they're just absolutely brilliant people that have had this education that we can all wish that we had. I don't know what your education is, but mine is, is, is not as good as I'd love it to be. And then uh, I've actually vowed uh, to get my doctorate before my daughter graduates high school. So, uh <laughs> So, Gary, um, that's all we've got time for, but thank you very much. Um, what we'll do is we'll make sure that the listeners have got all the links on there for UAPX, um, for your Twitter handle. You're always really vocal on Twitter, and you chat to people, which is great. And like you yeah. say, you want to get a lot out there. It's you, The whole idea behind UAPX is getting a lot of minds together as well, and that's keeping that conversation going from a scientific standpoint, a research standpoint, and that's something that's only going to continue going forward. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for being interested. Uh, you know, the more people that are interested, uh, the better. Um, I'm always up for an interview. Um, sometimes it's a little hard to get them, uh, you, know, you know, you know, stapled down with time and date, stuff like that. But anybody that's uh, interested in any interviews, I have no problem talking to anybody. I talk to skeptics and true believers. Um, I try really hard not to be judgmental, but I am human. So forgive me if I am. <laughs> not at all it makes it all yeah. the more interesting trust me yeah and uh but uh uh you know thank you for your time uh uh feel free to engage with me online um any any follow-up questions you have uh if your listeners want me to come back on and i've been kind of toying or toying around now that i got this setup set up i might uh might do some uh some some facebook live chatting you know or uh you know and uh, see if uh, see if anybody's interested in anything like that. Uh, you know, 
but uh, I just try to I just try to make people feel like they as long as they as long as they engage me in a way that you know if they've got questions I'll answer what I know and if I don't know it well now they can piss in the wind I don't care <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they can, anybody can ask me any question they want so yeah. And I've certainly found that as well. So um, I really appreciate being the first guest. And I would absolutely love to have you back on in one of the, the shows in the coming future anyway. Well, I look forward to it. Or if you just need somebody else on, on with you uh, or, you know, or if you just want to get a group of guys together, bullshit about UFOs. I'm, I'm down for that, too. So, Folks, I'm sure whether or not that is the first time you've heard that story, its impact is still incredible. I can't wait to have Gary back on again in the future and in the bio of this download you can find all his contact details and keep in touch with all things UAP Expeditions. A lot of exciting stuff coming up there folks. That's all for today's show. I sincerely thank you for listening. Please subscribe on whatever platform you've listened to the show as our next episodes are going to feature more interviews following up on these incidents with more witnesses and journalists who have their own theories on what's happening with the events coming out uh, currently in the news and where they could also be going. Find me on Twitter at UFO UAP AM at, and on Facebook at That UFO Podcast. Please like the page and feel free to drop me a message. I'm more than happy to chat all things UFO, UAP, whatever you want to talk about. With this being a brand new podcast, I can assure you week in, week out, the quality will increase and all feedback is appreciated. If there's something you want to hear on the show, uh, have your name read out, ask a question, suggest a feature, or even recommend a guest, then absolutely please let me know, drop me a message. I'll be appearing on Paranormal Prowlers podcast that's hosted by the awesome Tessa you heard advertised earlier on the show on the 18th of May, so please give that a listen where I'll be sharing my own UFO experiences and sightings, some from when I was younger, and one very recently as well, so be sure to listen. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAP AM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac, and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems and they think I should scare me and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me.
Consider your lies, consider your life. 